Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Micah, chapter 5, uh, verse 5 to 15. Um, and I will be reading to you guys uh, from the English Standard Version. I encourage you guys to follow along either in your Bible or uh, as you'll see the text on my left, you are right. Micah, chapter 5, verse 5. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at his entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Verse seven. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion amongst the beasts of the forest, like a young lion amongst the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears to piece in pieces, and there is nothing to deliver." Your hands shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and dis will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out all your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This is God's word. Uh, today, we have the privilege of hearing from our minister, Jeff, um, continue our sermon series from the book of Micah, uh, and his sermon will be entitled, What Will God's Kingdom Look Like? So, Minister Jeff, over to you. Morning, Crossbridge. I find that oftentimes, as we work our way through a book of the Bible, whether that's for a sermon series or for a small group Bible study, it's easy for us to miss the forest for the trees. We're focused on that particular passage for that particular week. This morning, before we take a look at, at our passage, let's look at what we've covered thus far and how it, it all fits together. Today is sermon number six in this series. Now, in the first three sermons, in the first three chapters of Micah, Micah was talking about the present, at least his present. He was speaking to Israel and about their problems. Three things that they were doing that angered the Lord. Idolatry, oppression, and unjust civil leaders, and silent spiritual leaders. The next three sermons, which includes this morning's passage, covers the future. What will God's kingdom look like? Who will establish it? And maybe you sense that subconsciously as you listen to Minister Cola's sermon two weeks ago and Pastor Jeff's sermon last week, you know, oh, they were, they've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've, we've been talking about it for the past two weeks or so. Now, of course, there's different nuances with each message and with each passage. We probably need both the trees and the forest. You see, if, if we only uh, see the, 
the force, then it feels like we're, every sermon is the same thing. And, oh, this is the third week where we're hearing about the kingdom of God. It's the, the same message every week, week in and week out. But if we only see the trees, then we miss the bigger picture of what it's all about, how it all connects together. I recall seven or so years ago when we preached through the book of Revelation, it, it seemed at the time like every sermon was on persecution. Obviously, it wasn't, and there are different nuances about it, but you could definitely feel when you zoom out that persecution was a major theme. It was a big part of it. In Micah, you have the first three chapters dealing with Micah's present, how the people of God have broken the covenant. The next two chapters dealing with the future and what the kingdom of God is like. And this matters because Micah is a prophet. So so not only does he speak forth God's word, thus says the Lord, to the people, but he also speaks concerning the future. If you remember from last week, Dr. Arthurs began his sermon talking about three different mountaintops, mountain peaks, and how biblical prophecy worked. I think you can take a look at it right here. Micah, as he's prophesying, because of his position in salvation history, doesn't realize that there's a false peak or a false summit. That is that there is another mountaintop behind the mountaintop that he sees. And so when Micah speaks about the kingdom of God, there's a sense in which it applies to the first mountaintop and also another sense in which it more fully applies to the second mountaintop. And we're going to see that in our passage today. So, Go get your Bibles, take out a notebook, and turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verses 5 to 15. Again, as Micah is speaking, he's in the middle of of prophesying about the future. He's talking about the future kingdom of God. What is it going to be like? We're going to see two things. The first, restoration. God will restore his people with a triumphant victory. Verses 5 to 9. Remember that that Micah is pronouncing judgment on God's people for breaking the covenant. They gave themselves up to idols. They were oppressing one another. And those who were supposed to be in charge to shepherd and rule over the people were instead taking advantage of them. And now the Assyrian Empire is knocking at the door, waiting to punish them. The northern kingdom was going to get wiped out. And the Assyrian Empire would even make their way into the southern kingdom of Judah. And if Judah continued in their sin and rebellion, well, their time would come as well. The Babylonian Empire would later arise to take them out, to take them into exile many years later. Now, also remember that Micah oscillates between words of judgment and promises of restoration. In our passage this morning, Micah is reassuring them that even though God will discipline them, he will also restore them. How? God's enemies will be defeated, verses 5 to 6. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land 
and treads within our border. Now, in the beginning of chapter 5, Micah just spent the first four verses of this chapter talking about the coming of the Messiah, who we know and, and we believe to be Jesus Christ. As Dr. Arthur's put it last week, he came from nowhere. He's gathering a family from everywhere. And one day he will be great, famous, and known to the ends of the earth. As Micah continues, he says that this Messiah shall be their peace. What we see with the coming of the Messiah is that God will raise up an abundance of capable under-shepherds and rulers against their enemies. In Hebrew, when we see something like seven shepherds and eight princes, this N and N plus one formula is, is Hebrew parallelism. Uh, Micah's using this literary device to make the point that there will be many, an abundance, more than enough to overcome Israel's enemies. And by enemies, Micah's not just talking about Assyria here. You see, he's using the, the language of his day, the name of the common enemy of his day, to describe God's enemies across all time. And so when we see that when the Messiah comes and Assyria will be tread upon, we're not, not just talking about Assyria. Think back to the mountains picture that Dr. Arthur's brought up. When the Messiah comes, that's Jesus, there will be a triumphant victory. God will restore his people. We see this through the cross. In Colossians, Paul writes, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I think this is part of the twist. You read something like Micah 5, and it's no wonder the people of Israel believed their Messiah was going to be some political, military ruler that would lead their people to overtake whichever empire was oppressing them at the time. Assyrian, Babylonian, Roman. But then you flip to the New Testament when the Messiah comes, Jesus, Matthew 5, and here you have Jesus saying things like, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not what you expect, is it? Jesus brings about a triumphant victory for God's people by humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But there's also a second mountaintop behind this one. And that victory will be fully realized when Jesus returns. Sin and death, and, and as we'll see with this passage, all the nations in rebellion against God will be ultimately and finally defeated. Micah continues to talk about what this victory means, not just for the enemies, but for the people of God. The people of God will bring instruction or destruction. Verses 7 to 9. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew from the Lord, 
like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Micah is still talking about the future, and what happens then is an exact reversal of what's happening now. God will not let his people be completely destroyed. There will be a remnant, and they will actually dwell in the midst of, of the nations of many peoples. And, and so there's this dual role, there's this contrast here. The people of God in verses 7 to 9, well, they'll either be a refreshing rain or a destructive lion. So in chapter 4, which kicked off this whole section about the future, Micah was talking about the mountain of the Lord. And in verse 2, he says, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion should go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The people of God will be a blessing to the nations, just like what God promised to Abraham. The nations will come to seek instruction from God, and that is because of the witness of God's people. At the same time, God also uses his people to judge the nations. Again, with the, the two mountaintops, we see this in some respect now because Christ has come, but we'll also see it more fully then because Christ will return. Christ has come now and he's established the church. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Again, the twist here is is not that the church becomes a military under a militaristic messiah. But following Christ's example of taking up the cross, the church points to the gospel, which to some is a fragrance of life to those who accept Jesus. But to others who reject the gospel, it's a fragrance of death. In Paul's case, they they encounter his life, the way he, he lived, and his message, what he preached. They dislike it, they reject it, and it ultimately leads to their own condemnation and destruction. So what what will God's kingdom be like? The first is restoration. God will restore his people with a triumphant victory. The second is this, righteousness. God will establish righteousness in his people and his kingdom. We spent the first three chapters detailing the sins of Israel. Actually, a lot of the Old Testament is like this. But the good news is that it won't always be like this. God will come in 
and rescue his people from themselves. That is, God will cut off that which kept his people from him. Five times in these four verses, God says he will cut off whatever it is that his people rely on instead of him. Verses 10 to 14, And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands, and I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. God will cut off their false sense of security. Israel relied on their military might, their horses, their chariots for strength to defeat their enemies. God is going to take that away. Israel relied on uh, their secure strongholds, their fortresses, thinking they were impenetrable. God is going to take that away. Assyria and that day is going to come to their doorsteps and lay siege to Jerusalem. King Sennacherib of Assyria describes having confined King Hezekiah inside the city like a bird in a cage. God will also cut off their false sense of counsel, the sorceries and tellers of fortunes that they saw guidance from rather than God. And finally, he will cut off their false symbols of worship, the, the idols they make with their own hands. All these things that Michael lists show that Israel had been relying on themselves rather than God. When Assyria came and laid siege, now God would eventually deliver them. But what Micah says here extends beyond that immediate mountaintop to the other mountaintops as well, when Christ came and when Christ returns. When Christ came, Paul writes that God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as we're in the season of Advent, we're also waiting for that day, that day when Christ returns, when God's kingdom will be fully ushered in, will be fully realized. And when Christ returns, this is how the passage ends, God uh, will cut off those who kept themselves from him. Verse 15, and in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. When we think about vengeance, we tend to think of things like what one com commentator said, revenge, retaliation, vindictiveness, excessive punishment, the list goes on. But, but God's vengeance is a bit different. Actually, it's a lot different. This commentator put it this way. It is used of a judge or suzerain whose responsibility it was to determine the innocence or guilt of an accused, then to administer grace or punishment as the case demanded. Here Micah says that Yahweh, acting as the judge of the world, will punish those nations who rebel against him. God is going to purge the evil from his people. He will rescue them. He's also, also going to protect his kingdom and give what is due. And it's good. It's good. 
And this is why it's good. This is also how it ties into Micah beginning with the present and moving on to the future. Think about the issues that Micah called his people out on. Idolatry, oppression, unjust civil and spiritual leaders. Surprise, these are still the same things that we see today, although maybe packaged a little bit differently. If we think about issues in our own day that we care about, care deeply about, and that we know that God cares deeply about, and our response to it is simply, well, look to the future. There will be a day, a time when there's no more brokenness, no more idolatry, no more oppression, no more injustice. That's great. But it's also giving an answer to a different set of questions. It, it, in a sense, ignores the current plight of the people, his people. We, We don't live in the future. We live in the present. Now, let's not get carried away if we, if on the flip side, at the same time, if our response is simply, well, these are the issues right now. It's wrong. These things are wrong. And this is what we need to do right now. And we neglect and lack the message that Micah has about the future kingdom of God actually becomes pretty bleak when you think about it. You you can do all the justice work that you want and you should, but you can never correct for the injustices that have already happened. Those things have already happened. And if you miss Micah's message about God's future kingdom, you also don't have any hope that these injustices will ever stop. Micah here in these first five chapters gives us both. He addresses the current problems, but he also points to a day when these problems won't exist at all. And as he ends this passage, he also gives us the assurance and confidence and hope that with God, no wrongs will go unpunished. God can do what we can't. He will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Because God is a just and righteous God. And he will establish righteousness in his people and his kingdom. So, what will the kingdom of God look like? Restoration and righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word to us through Micah. We give thanks that your word tells us that you care deeply about the issues of our day right now, but that you care so much that there will be a day when these issues are no longer an issue at all. God, help us to live in light of that day. We pray that you would continue to restore us and make us righteous because of your Son, Jesus, and by your Spirit and through your Word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.